Adams, Adamley, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. It's time for school, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. Oh, I want to work for your foundation. And he said, good luck with that. And I said, what do you mean, good luck with that? He said, well, you know my foundation is designed to stay dormant until I pass. And I said, well, I I can wait less. That's okay. And he said, no, 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 you don't get it, Sue. I'm going to outlive you. (laughs) Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show. Welcome to the month of July. If you're at all a listener to the show, then you know during the month of July, we take a break from Tammy and I talking back and forth, and I go out of my way to find people to interview to cover the month. This month of July, I have four interviews for you, and I think they are wonderfully interesting. Number one is going to be Sue Baker the program director of the Les Paul Foundation. You know, the guy that invented the solid body electric guitar, Les Paul, him, right. She is in charge of his foundation. Now, how did Sue and I get together? Did I contact her? No, she contacted me. Why? Because in February of this year, I did a show called The Inventions of Les Paul. Because I've said numerous times that music today sounds like music because of Les Paul and his inventions. Well, she was listening to the show, and I apparently made a mistake, or three, or six, and she called me and said, look, how about we repair these things? And what was even more wonderful is she sent me some of the goodies from the Les Paul Foundation, including a handful of Les Paul picks, which, except for two, I have handed out to good friends. So, without any more ado, let's talk to Sue Baker, the program director of the Les Paul Foundation. On the phone with me is the program director of the Les Paul Foundation. This is Sue Baker. I'm envious. How did you get this job, Sue? <laughs> well, um, I had been the director of the Waukesha County Museum, and the short version is I wanted to know who the most famous person who ever lived in Waukesha County was. <laughs> I asked six leaders in Waukesha County, and I got the same answer. And I said, okay, who's Les Paul? (laughs) You know what? It's funny you say that because I have it right here as the first question on my interview list. If someone looks at you and says, who's Les Paul? Sue, what do you say? Oh, I tell him that he was the Wizard of Waukesha. He was the inventor and gold record musician. He was a jazz performer. He was a country performer. He's probably to summarize who Les Paul was is to know that he is in both the National Inventors Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Isn't that wonderful? That sort of (laughs) says it all. 
Those who are uh, a listener to the Rock School Show know that I have a statement about Les Paul. Number one, I think he has the first rock guitar solo ever recorded on a single, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But the statement that I make a lot is that our music today sounds like our music because of Les Paul. Do you agree with that or not? Oh, you agree. Okay. Absolutely. Tell me why. Well, um... In the 1940s, um, he had, he was playing an electric guitar and his mom had said to him, you sound like everyone else, Lester. And if your mother can't tell the difference between you and anyone else, that's pretty bad. <laughs> um, and as always, Les listened to his mom and that's when he went back to Hollywood and, and stayed in his recording studio garage until he could come up with what he called his new sound. And that is, um, all the recording techniques he came up with, the sound on sound, the reverb, the echo, the phase shifting, and, and all of those other things that are used every day today. Um, and th- that wouldn't, music today wouldn't be the same, except for what Les Paul did in that Hollywood garage. That's a, it, it sure wouldn't sound the same. That's, that's for, that's for complete sure. Now, before we get into some more specifics, Sue, let's just get the story that everybody seems to know out of the way. Did Les Paul invent the solid body electric guitar? Yes or no? <laughs> That's not a yes or no question. Okay. <laughs> or answer. Tell me. Um, obviously, he, he was very intimately involved in the design of the Gibson Les Paul solid body electric guitar. But before that, he was really good friends with Leo Fender. They both lived in Hollywood in the 40s, and, and Les often would talk about he had this little tiny bungalow that he lived in, um, but he said, I had this great backyard, and he said, Leo would come over, and we'd sit in the backyard. He said, Paul Bigsby would join us sometimes, and he said, we kept, the three of us kept talking about how the 
solid body electric guitar was a wave of the future. Now, now, wait a minute. You said a name. I wanted to make sure people understood it. We know who Fender is. We know who Les Paul is. Bigsby is the guy that invented sort of the Hawaiian whammy bar. Am I right about that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So the, the three of them talked about it. And um, if people have read uh, Les's autobiography called Les Paul in his own words, they'll know that Leo approached Les after a number of their conversations and said, Les, why don't we go into business together? We both really believe in the solid body electric guitar. Let's have the, the Fender Paul solid body electric guitar. What do you think? And Les told me one of the times he and I were talking, he said, you know, I really seriously thought about it. And he said, I went back to Leo and said, Leo, I've been working with Gibson for some time and I really think they're going to eventually come around. So no, I, you know, you need to go ahead without me. So, Leo said, okay, Les, and of course, the rest is history. As as most people know, Leo went ahead and, and built his solid body electric guitar, and it was then that Gibson woke up and said, get the guy with the broomstick back in here, and they were referring to his log, of course. Right. Hummingbird, hummingbird should be your name. Hummingbird should be your name. Too restless, too subtle, too wild, too tame. Too restless, too wild. Too restless, too subtle, too wild, too tame. Hummingbird, hummingbird should be your name. Hummingbird, hummingbird, winging along. No tender young blossom can hold you for long. No tender young blossom can hold you for long. Hummingbird, hummingbird, winging along. You'd hug me and kiss me like others I've known You'd promise to love me and call me your own And then all my dreams would be shattered apart by the hum of your hummingbird heart Hummingbird, hummingbird, feathered so fine If I clipped your wings it would not make you mine if I clipped your wings, it would not make you mine. Hummingbird, hummingbird, feathered so fine. Hummingbird, hummingbird, fly right on by. Some folks like to gamble, but darling, not I. Some folks like to gamble, but darling. Not I Hummingbird, hummingbird, fly right on by I'd rather be lonely, I'd rather be blue Yes, I'd rather spend my whole life without you Than rather a nest to be shattered apart by the hum of your hummingbird heart by the hum, hum of your hummingbird heart. Now, 
I have heard, and I hope you can answer this question, but I have heard numerous times and in numerous ways what the original pickup on that log guitar was. I've heard that it was a uh, an actual lipstick case wrapped in a, a in copper wire. I've heard that it was the the voice section of a telephone. I've heard other things. What exactly was it that he used on that log to pick up the strings? Well, you you've gone beyond my technical knowledge. Oh which darn! Is, <laughs> <laughs> but I I can tell you that that about the the telephone pickup. Maybe what people are referring to is when. When Les, when he was a teenager, took a piece, uh, a two-foot piece of rail from a train track, and he took apart his mom's telephone. Now, this would have been an old-fashioned candlestick phone. Uh, he took the microphone off of that and laid it on top of, of the rail, put a, a guitar string over the top, held the string in place with a couple of uh, spikes from the railroad, and, and that, that was the very beginning of the solid-body electric guitar. And And the thing that people miss about that is i get it he did the solid body electric guitar but gibson and all the other guitar makers were all hollow body so every one of their guitars fed back after a certain amount of volume you could take the log and crank it through the roof yep Mm -hmm. you're right now let's let's talk about this I brought it up in one of my shows and the reason you and i even know each other is because one of my shows got to you and i didn't (laughs) I didn't quite get everything correct, and I wish I had been in touch with you before the show, which is which is why we're talking right now. I made the statement on the show that Les Paul just about electrocuted him some, himself to death playing around with a pirate radio station. Tell, yep. tell me about that. Well, actually, there were two pirate radio stations. Oh, his great. First pi- <laughs> his first pirate radio station was when he was a kid. Um, and this would have been when he was about nine or ten when he first uh, found out about crystal radio sets. He built his own, and he and this is I thought was just hilarious. His bed, you know, think of this. This was back in the twenties. He did there weren't box springs. There were just those exposed springs under a bed. Mm-hmm. So Les had his crystal radio set, and he attached the antenna from the the uh, crystal radio set to the springs of his bed to make a larger antenna. <laughs> so he could take pull in all of the the radio stations that were playing the music he wanted to hear. But then he went further and he ran a wire or a, a, he ran an antenna up over a hill that was behind his his house to to make this huge antenna and then created a pirate radio station in the basement of his childhood home. He would so bro- that, he would broadcast. Yes, he broadcasted, and of course it didn't go very far. And he would just, you know, play his guitar, and and I'm not real sure how far it went, but it was probably a block or so. Um, but then, y- yes, when he was, oh, what was he in his late twenties, uh, and living in New York, in in Queens, um, and and he had a a pirate radio station in the basement of his apartment. And when you think about it, this would have been in the, you know, about the 1930s, early 40s. And, of course, there was no air conditioning in New York City. You know, lots of people, hot, humid summer, and they were the guys were in the basement, you know, performing for their, their pirate radio station. And then, as, as I think you relayed, he had his one hand on his electric guitar, and without thinking, he reached his hand in to adjust something, 
and nearly fried himself. Now, Les was always a jokester. He's always goofing around from the time he was a, a kid. I mean, he's told me stories about what he did, you know, in the early grades, but he, he was always horsing around. So people saw him, you know, shaking and stuff, and they thought, oh, it's Les, he's goofing around again. But luckily, one of his band members realized, no, Les wasn't. And hmm. the other lucky thing was that there was one switch for all the electricity in that room, and the guy turned it off. But yeah, Les, Les's hands were badly, badly damaged and the muscles in his chest were all pulled. And you know, just, just the other day I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, I have to wonder if that really bad damage he did to his hands back when he was a young man didn't contribute to the arthritis that was such a, a challenge for him in his later years. I, I wonder as well, uh, when you watch him play, uh, a lot of guitarists, and this is something only a guitarist would, would see. When you watch the old film of him and Mary Ford, especially How High the Moon, things like that, his left hand is, it's really in an unconventional position. Instead of being flat to the neck, he's always got it turned. And even as quick things, he has to move his entire hand rather than just reaching his fingers. I'm, you know, I don't know this for a fact, but the guy, not only electrocuted himself, but he was in a horrendous car accident. And I wonder if yeah. that, if that led to this sort of Django Reinhardt, I need to learn to play the instrument, how my body will do it. Oh, definitely. I mean, Django was one of his heroes for sure. Um, and they did become good friends, which probably your listeners know. But yeah, the, the car accident was horrific. Um, I, I remember talking to Les and I we used Les and I used to talk for hours and hours on the phone. If if you were a friend of Les's and you were on the phone, it would be at least two hours. So <laughs> um and he was a great, great storyteller, so it was great fun listening to him. But the the night he told me about that accident, he told me in great detail about what happened and, and at the end he said, Oh, I was the luckiest guy in the world and I and he started talking about something else and I said, Whoa, Les, wait, 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 back up and he said, What? And I said, I I'm sorry, but I said I can't think of another person that I know who would tell me they went through something as horrific as that car accident and ended by saying, I was the luckiest guy in the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Les, you got to explain it to me. And he said, don't, don't you see, Sue? I was going so fast with my life. I was a racehorse. I was just running. I wasn't thinking about, you know, anything except just push, push, push. And he said, I never would have slowed down. I never would have taken the time to think about what I had done, what I wanted to do, and how I was going to achieve it. He said, but being in a hospital for a, basically almost like a year and a half, he said, I was forced to think I had nothing else to do. And he said, so that helped, that accident helped me decide where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. I'm a fool to care When you treat me this way I know I love you But what can I do? I'm a fool to care I'm a fool to cry Tell me goodbye You left me 
so blue when you were untrue. I'm a fool to care. I know I should laugh and call it a day, but I know. Should I pretend I lose in the end? I'm a fool to care. Hindsight's twenty twenty, less. But would you have said the same thing about four days out? Well, he he also told me that, um, and the, these are his words. He said um, he was after the accident. He was going in and out of consciousness, and he said, "I I was being wheeled in a in a gir- on a gurney down a hospital corridor, and um, one of his friends lived in." Oklahoma City, and he had the friend had been called to be with Les, and Les looked up and, and saw the guy and said, and I'm quoting Les, "What's wrong with you? You look like hell." <laughs> and his friend said, "Les, you're in really tough shape." And Les said, after that, he blanked out. He said the next memory he had was he was he said, "I saw the doctors and nurses working on me." He said, "But I was above them." He said, I was looking down at them, and they were working really hard to save me. And he said, I was going towards the light. He said, but then I stopped, and I looked back at the doctors and nurses, and he said, I thought if they're working so hard to save me, I need to go back. And so he went back. We'll get back to talking with Sue Baker, the program director of the Les Paul Foundation, in just a moment, but we have to take a break here on Rock School.
phenomenal. A, there's a documentary on him showing him playing at his room, his Monday night gig in, in New York. And mm-hmm. he's, he's as energetic as I am yep. when I'm on stage. And he was, I believe in the documentary, he's late 80s. Yep. And that's yeah, You're that's probably ridiculous. referring to uh, Les Paul chasing sound. Bingo. There you go. Yeah. Now, yeah. the fact that he was a Navy man, is that the reason his no, first... No, no. No, he, he wasn't? wasn't? No, he wasn't a Navy man. It was just that he was recruited from the Armed Forces radio station. Mm-hmm. He was in the Army. Oh, okay. Um, but they wanted, they wanted him for that study. And you're going to ask me about why was he in that Navy uniform as a kid. Well, that and also his first professional promo shot was a sailor. Yes. So that's well, why I jumped to, sa- to the Navy immediately. <laughs> Oh, no, he was 13 in that sh- that uh, photo that most people know. They see the young kid dressed up in a sailor suit with a, the, the acoustic guitar and, and the harmonica and the homemade harmonica rack. Uh-huh. The story behind that is one of Les's heroes was uh, the guy named Pie Plant Pete. Uh, you know, again, this is back in the 20s, and they had those kinds of names. Well... Les's mom was always great at, at promoting her son. She was always pushing him out there from the time he was, before he ever went to school, she was out pushing him to, to sing and perform. Well, Pie Plant Pete came to Waukesha, where Les was living, and Les's mom, Evelyn, got tickets for herself and for uh, Les to go see Pie Plant Pete. Well, Pie Plant Pete was part of Showboat, and of course, in the program showboat they're wearing navy uniforms there you go well evelyn wanted to make really sure that pie plant pete noticed her son so evelyn was a very good seamstress she sewed that uniform for Les, and she and Les were in the front front row of that program i mean can you imagine poor pie plant pete he's up there <laughs> trying to perform and he's looking down and going what the heck is that kid wearing my outfit for <laughs> Did, do you know? Did they did they meet? Did they do anything together? Oh yeah, oh yeah, they did. Uh, Evelyn was was very aggressive, uh, and because she knew her son had talent, so she, like I said, was always pushing him out there. She arranged to uh, get herself and Les to the be- behind the um, backstage after the program to meet Pie Plant Pete, and uh, Pie Plant Pete showed Les a couple of chords and and. Less practice like crazy, and, and Pete said to him, well, you know, next time I'm in town, come on back and I'll show you some more. Really? And and what I didn't know, and maybe some of your listeners didn't know, I didn't realize that pie plant is another name for rhubarb. So if, you're, if your listeners know I'm, anything about I'm putting about it together. I'm putting less, it together. <laughs> yep. When, when he was performing on live radio in St. Louis, uh-huh. he, they want, the radio station wanted him to change his stage name, which at the time was Red Hot Red. They didn't like that. Can I, can I so, say what it is? Can I say what it is? Go ahead. Go for it. It's Rhubarb Red. That's right. There you go. After Pie Plant Feet. Never say to yourself, I'm the best 
There's nothing that I can't do Because when you are put to the test I'm sure you'll find a few Well, you can't hit a ball with a bat of your eye Don't try it, it can't be done You can't take a goose and make gooseberry pie Don't try it, it can't be done Now you might find a beggar who never does beg You might raise a chicken without laying an egg But you can't raise a cow from the calf of your leg Don't try it, it can't be done ship without getting aboard don't try it it can't be done you can't take the rattle all out of a ford don't try it it can't be done now you might find a barber who could tell you just how to get a good shave from the blade of a plow but you can't get milk from a gentleman cow don't try it it can't be done So when did it happen? I re- I've, I've heard Red Hot Red. I've heard Rhubarb Red. I had no idea. I just assumed he went with Rhubarb Red because Rhubarb was indeed red. When did Lester Paulson become Les Paul? Okay. Let's talk about Les's name because that, that's a whole story in itself. Okay. His, his, original, his, his um, birth certificate says Lester William Paulfis, and it's P-O-L-F, as in Sam, F, as in Frank, U-S-S. And his mother hated that name because huh. it's hard to say, it's hard to spell, it's just very confusing. It, it's a German name. Mm-hmm. So she, um, before Les ever got into school, she took that middle F out of the name. And by the time he was in high school, she had cut off the the last S. So what started off with three S's was down to one. There's a a, a video. There's a YouTube thing that uh, Les is being interviewed, and he says, "Yeah, my mom kept whacking off letters off of our last name." And he said, "Pretty soon our last name's going to be." <laughs> oh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so the evolution is okay. So as a kid, he's he's red hot red, and then in St. Louis, he becomes rhubarb red and then in chicago when he's in playing at the on the chicago radio stations during the day he's playing the hillbilly music which is very very popular and he's actually making a lot of money and this was in the depression 
um, doing the hillbilly music. Everyone loved that. But jazz was just coming on the south side of Chicago, and and Les was mesmerized by jazz. So he would spend, you know, all day performing on the radio stations, and then at night he'd go to the south side of Chicago and sit in with all the jazz greats. And when he decided to play jazz, he decided that rhubarb red was not going to work for a jazz name. That no, <laughs> that's where he got. That's where he came up with Les Paul. Was in Chicago when he wanted to play jazz. Oh, how about that? Just put a ring on my finger, kiss on my cheek. put a woman in his life. Where in the world did Mary Ford come from? <laughs> okay. Les was living in Hollywood. He was married. He had two two sons and he was performing a radio show. He was doing a he had a trio and the three of them were playing jazz music. But the uh NBC wanted um to have a hillbilly uh, program and Les said to them, I've, "I've got, I can pull up my rhubarb red stick, and I, you know, I can do that." So he was thinking about doing the hillbilly show, but he he said, "I need, I need a woman. I need a, a female singer." Well, he had been good friends with Gene Autry. Now, your younger listeners may not know, Gene Autry was a cowboy singer, mm-hmm. and both Gene and Les had been. At the, in Chicago playing in the radio station at the same time. So they were friends. Well, Gene was out in, in, uh, California and Les happened to run into Gene. In fact, they were standing at ho- the infamous Hollywood and Vine and Les is talking to Gene and said, yeah, I, I really need a, a, a female singer. He would have said, I need a gal. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and Gene said, why don't you go in and, in the, the recording studio in Capitol Studio? They've, there's someone, uh, they had the Sunshine Girls. It's a trio and they're backing 
they back me up and they back up some others and go listen to the one in the middle. She's got a really great voice. So Les went in and he listened and, and he said, who who's the one in the middle? And they said, oh, that's Colleen Summers. And he said, okay. So he got her phone number and he called her and said, uh, I'd like you to come over for an audition. I'm, I'm Les Paul. And he, and she said, you are not. <laughs> <laughs> and it was because it turned out she was a huge Les Paul fan, huge. And she said to him, you're just one of my friends playing a trick on me. You couldn't possibly be calling me. And he said, well, why don't you come over and see? So then she, they worked it out and he invited her to come over to his, his house, um, on Curson Avenue and, in Hollywood. So she comes over. It's nighttime. Les said, I totally forgot I told her to come. He said, I had forgot. I had also forgotten to cut the grass. So he said, it's dark. I've got my little, picture this, my push lawnmower, and it was dark, so I had a flashlight taped to my, my lawnmower so that I could see what I was doing. He said, and she pulls up. And she pulls in the driveway and says to Les, not knowing it's Les, um, I'm supposed to meet Les Paul. Do you know where he is? And, and he said, oh, just go back to the garage and, and my, my friends, uh, the, the two guys back there, they'll help, they'll help you in. And so she drives up. Well, the reason he said they'll help you in was because Les and his buddies had closed off the overhead door for the garage and the entrance door. And the only way into that recording studio was climbing through the window. Really? So, <laughs> so this woman has to climb through a window. Well, and 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 keep this in mind. I mean, she's she's young. She was quite a bit younger than than Les. And this is in the twenties when women didn't wear slacks. And she's supposed to. She doesn't know this guy. There's two strangers in this garage. It's dark, and she's supposed to crawl through the window into this garage that doesn't have a door. So she gets in, and, and she's getting nervous, you know, uneasy. I was going to say, th- this sounds like the beginning of a Dateline NBC problem yeah. happening here. Yeah, yeah, So she's getting a little anxious. She goes, where's Les Paul and his buddies? He's coming. He'll be here. And she, she's getting really uneasy. So she's getting ready to crawl back out the window, and, and Les comes in. And uh, they said, oh, here, here's Les. And she... She looks at the two guys and she looks at Les and says, that's the gardener. And Les said, no, no, I'm Les Paul, really. And she she starts heading out the window because she figures she's in a, a really bad situation. Les said, I grabbed my guitar and I started playing. And she stopped and she said, oh, my goodness, you really are Les Paul. Mm-hmm.
first song. Praying for game to blow this horn, and we won't have to work no more. I see new chariots coming this way, and I know they're coming for me. And the bells keep ringing up the gospel life on the land I'm going to see. Hear the bells, don't you hear the bells? They are ringing out glory of the land. Hear the bells, don't you hear the bells? They are ringing out the glory of the Did he have some kind of a degree or was this just pure, unabashed fight until you figure it out knowledge? Les never finished high school. Oh, jeez. I feel so, terrible. No. The, the short answer is no, he did not have a degree, but he was incredibly intuitive. Um, obviously, he was always taking things apart and, and there's many stories about you know how he took everything in his mother's house apart, um, but he always put it back together, and, you know, and the early inventions, it, he, he just was always into inventing things, you know, from the time he was a preschooler and, and you know, putting the, the tape on, on the rolls for his, the mom's fire piano and, you know, punching more holes in, mm-hmm. he just was always into that. He, he's self-taught, got like Abraham Lincoln. One of, <laughs> one of my favorite little stories about him was another guitarist, he's not worth mentioning, contacted him and just said, hey, Les, what are you doing? He said, I'm trying to figure out a way to, to, um, to put uh, uh, sandpaper on the side of my picks because they keep slipping in my hand. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. What? Buy another pick. And he just decided to go ahead and see if he couldn't redesigned the guitar pick. Well, he, he did, but the, the reason of that was that his hands were so um, gnarled and crippled from the arthritis that he could no longer put his thumb and his forefinger together hmm. to hold a standard pick. So what Les would actually do is cut picks out of a little thicker material, and, and he would often use old credit cards. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and then he would put the sandpaper on both sides. Yeah, you sent me a Les Paul. Uh, you sent me a handful of Les Paul picks. And... Well, th- yes, but those aren't ones that he made. What I sent you were picks that that we have made in the Les Paul Foundation. Those oh, okay. picks are the shape that Les used. Ah, okay. But but his picks were were thicker. The the picks that that have the Les Paul Foundation name on them are picks that bass players usually use, but that's the, the shape that Les used because, again, it gave him a little more area to hang on to. Once again, we have to take a break to allow our affiliates to put in some commercials, and we'll get back to talking with Sue Baker, the program director of the Les Paul Foundation.
my mind, the song How High the Moon, there's, there's always that question, you know, the alien lands and he or she, the alien, has time to listen to one song that will explain the musician. In my mind, How High the Moon is the, the magnum opus, if you will, of Les Paul and Mary Ford. Where did that fall in? And I understand Columbia wasn't all that hep on sending it out. No, um, it was capital. And, and no, they didn't want to. It was a big fight. And Les had many situations in his life where he just had to really do battle and, and stick to what he believed in. it, And that was one of them that um, he and Mary had been performing it all over. And they had really been watching it to see. They would perform, and they'd do it a little bit different, you know, different nights of the week, and Les would study real closely, watch the audience to see how they were reacting to the various versions that they were doing. And after quite a bit of, of that research, if you will, Les was confident that they had the right, the winning version of it. And they performed it, and he took it to Capitol, and they said, oh, you're crazy. Why? What makes you think that's going to sell. Umpteen artists have already performed um, How High the Moon, and no one has made a hit out of it. And Les kept saying, no, this is going to be a hit. This is going to be a hit. And he basically, uh, and I'm not sure of the details of this, but somehow he, quote, snuck it in. And of course, it became a number one hit. Mm -hmm. And there's a wonderful telegram from the president of Capitol saying, you were right. Way to go. <laughs> I'll, I'll bet. It, it is my opinion, and I'm one of those guys that likes to try and find the first in everything. It is my opinion that the first rock guitar solo, the, the guitar solo that is literally shaped in the way that rock solos are done, is inside of How High the Moon. I mean, it's distorted. It is quick. It's done in this pattern that rock that rock guitar solos are done on do i mean do you know anything about that do you have have you has has that come up at all in your work with the foundation not not directly no um y you know the song that really started everything was well the two songs lover and brazil which mm -hmm. were his introduction with his his new sound um obviously how high the moon is Les and Mary's signature song, but ironically, that wasn't their best-selling song. What Vaya was? Condias, Vaya Condias was. Really? Yep. I gotta do more yeah. Les Paul. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta read some more about Les Paul. Somewhere there's
Now look, I've hit all the stuff I'm interested in. You got one more story in the basket that we haven't gone over that sticks in the back of your head. Oh. Take your time. I I think that what what attracted me to Les was was not the fact that he was a a gold record performer or that he was an inventor because I'm not a musician and I'm not an inventor. But his humanity was just amazing. Um, and, and I observed it a couple of times. One time, um, he came to the museum that, that I was the director of at the time. And everyone was, you know, gathering around him and talking. And, and there was a volunteer who was, um, sitting in a greeter booth, you know, and, and she was the one that took, paid, you know, you paid your admission and everything. And she's just looking at Les and looking at Les and, and, uh, and this is a woman who was, was a retired teacher. So she was very articulate, okay? And Les out of peripheral vision saw her and he walked away from the crowd and he, he held out his hand and he said, hi, I'm Les Paul. <laughs> Which cracked me up. And this woman who generally was so articulate was saying, ha, ha, and she was beat red, and she was just so excited to see him. And yeah. he, he never missed a beat. He just stayed real, real calm and 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 very friendly. When I've traveled to the the east uh, and the west coast, people have said to me many times, "Les never lost that Midwest charm." And I said, after about the third or fourth time, I said, "Okay, I." You have to explain it to me because I'm from the Midwest. I've lived in the Midwest all my life, so I'm not really sure what you're talking about. And they said, Les never got full of himself. He never felt he was too good for anybody. Les would spend time with anybody who approached him and and said, Hi, Les. Or, you know, I watched him many times after he had done a performance. People would, you know, put guitars or guitar... um, uh, pick guards in front of him or, or umpteen other things, their arm <laughs> to have him sign. And, and he would sign and sign and sign. And he would, he wouldn't just sign. He would, he'd look at the person, you know, he'd give them direct eye contact. He would chat with them. And, and there was more than one time when I was with him, I thought, Oh my gosh, he's, he's my friend, but he, he's so Big. I mean, not he wasn't physically big, but I mean, it, just his persona was yeah. so big, but uh, so down to earth, so friendly. It's it's um, nice when a famous person doesn't get up in the morning. You know, hello, famous guitarist. You know, yeah. Good morning, famous no. guitarist. Yeah, I I never I never observed that. Not not even a hint of it. How about it? Yeah. Sue Baker, the program director of the Les Paul Foundation. One of my dream jobs, and Sue, you own it. So <laughs> I do. I can't, it is a dream. Again, I can't tell you how happy uh, that that you contacted me, and as politely as you possibly could say, hey, dum-dum, you missed a few things about Les Paul. <laughs> uh, and I, I'm happy when people do that. Uh, and it was able uh, that, you know, my screwing up was good enough for you and I to get contact and then... Uh, 
get uh, get in touch with one another and do this show. So, Sue, thank you so much for coming on the radio with me. You're welcome. My pleasure. Certainly. Be sure to play play lover for your listeners. I I intend to. Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through a lot of Les Paul before this one's over.
He says he won't deceive me He promised not to leave me Nevermore to roam It's not. 